If you enjoy our podcast, please consider supporting Glass Tire. All of the money we raise, since we are a nonprofit, goes right back into our coverage of Texas's art and artists. Our coverage is supported thanks to readers and listeners like you. If you would like to contribute, you can do so at glasstire.com forward slash donate. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Hello, and welcome to Art Dirt. This is a podcast where we at Glass Tire talk about topical art topics. I am Brandon Zeck. I am Jessica Fuentes. And today, we're talking about two different things. So one, you may have seen this if you've been kind of paying attention to the art rags, but um, news came out that, so we think at least, a Mondrian painting has been hanging upside down for about 75 years, which is either horrifying or exceedingly funny, depending on how you want to look at it. Uh, And the second thing we're going to talk about is the recent Just Stop Oil and Last Generation climate protests. For those of you keeping score and paying close attention, yes, we did talk about them also in July of this year on Art Dirt, but they just keep happening and the protesters keep on taking new tactics. So we're going to delve into a little bit again um, what's happened recently and also just if we think anything different about them this time around. So with that, um, (laughs) the story about the Mondrian. So the whole idea of it is the piece was made in 1941. It's called New York City One. It was first exhibited at MoMA in 1945, and it's made of like adhesive paper tape on the canvas. Um, It's not like composed of oil paint like some of his maybe better known pieces are. Um, And ever since it was first displayed, including that time it was displayed, it's allegedly been hung upside down. And we've just discovered that because there is a show happening in Germany of Mondrian works and the curator of the show was doing research and found a photo of this work bottom up in the artist studio, um, which was the photo was created a little while after he died. He had died before this piece was ever shown, so he had never seen it installed. So Jessica, what do you think about this? Because I'm a little, I don't know if, I, I don't know if skeptical is the right word, but the fact of it being quote unquote upside down, I do think there are arguments for the fact that it might be upside down. Like the the big the big strikes against it are that photograph showing it upside down. Um, apparently the curators uh, studied how the tape was applied to the canvas. By the way that the tape is layered, they think that Mondrian probably worked top to bottom and the way it's hung, it would be bottom to top, which is a weird way to apply tape to a substrate. But I'm also torn because apparently there's the theory that as artists do, he could have turned the piece around while he was working on it. You know, it was displayed on an easel. It's unsigned, which probably means it's unfinished. Like, granted, this curator, I bet, knows a lot more about Mondrian than I do. Is this just like a catchy, like, media headline? Or do you think this piece has been displayed upside down for 75 years? 
I think that it's completely likely that the piece has been displayed upside down, especially because the artist passed away before it was ever finished or before it was installed officially. And so without the artist there to be able to indicate how the artwork should be viewed, I think it's completely likely that it could be upside down, Um, which is funny. I'm I'm on the funny side too, just for the record. The art history nerd in me wants to be like, oh no, but just as a situation, the fact that it's been for its entire life displayed upside down is funny. Yeah, I think that it's hilarious and it makes me think a lot of, um, you know, when I used to teach art appreciation classes in college, um, the kinds of students who who really kind of had a barrier up about um, modern art and kind of felt that, you know, it wasn't as interesting or wasn't as skillful as um, historical paintings or impressionist work. Um, and so it makes me think of those students because I feel like those students would be like, see, exactly. <laughs> uh, this doesn't mean anything. If it could be hung in any direction, you know, like I, I feel like those students would have a field day with this, um, which which is fun and funny and I think would be you know, a ripe conversation to have with students. Yeah, you know, with someone like Mondrian, it's like, of course, like, of course, he considered composition and line and space in his paintings. But if you step back and kind of, I don't even know from what perspective I'm thinking about, but if you step back and look at it, you're, it, I, I could see the argument of like, well, does it matter how it's hung? Like, of course, maybe, maybe I'm thinking also about, you know, I know people who have collected art and it's not even like horribly expensive art from galleries but like art from their friends who might sometimes hang it in a way that (laughs) the person doesn't necessarily intend for it to be hung like if it's a piece that's a diptych maybe you're hanging it in a corner instead of on a wall with the two pieces flush up against one another or I, I have known the odd person who's been like, yeah, this painting is hung upside down, but it looks better upside down, <laughs> which, you know, I mean, to each their own. And when a person comes into a painting, um, it's kind of, in a sense, up to them what they end up doing with it. But I don't know. It made me think of just the way that we approach this kind of thing and how much like how much is our responsibility to care in a way like obviously i think with something like this the institution has the duty to the artists like the institution deciding to hang something upside down consciously i think would be intensely problematic and not to say that someone in their private home doing that to an artist's work isn't <laughs> but it's less problematic but it's less problematic yeah Totally. Like it's, it's less of a betrayal of, I I think in a way it's less of a betrayal of someone's intent. I bet the artist whose piece is hung upside down in someone's home would fiercely oppose me on that. Perhaps, but you know, the institutions have a duty not only to the artist, but to the public and to, to art history, to the canon. Um, And so to me, that's kind of the difference between the public display versus a private display. Um, If it's somebody hanging an artwork 
slightly incorrectly in their own home. They purchase that work of art. It is their piece. It's in their private home. They can do with it what they want as long as they care for it. Yeah, it's like we're edging on the the argument of like if that collector wants to light the artwork on fire, are they allowed to because it's their artwork? It's like maybe morally it's not right, but they technically can. Um, <laughs> well, I think what contributes to the hilarity of the whole situation for me is that this piece is going to this Mondrian is going to remain upside down probably for the rest of its existence because the museum has actually said that the work has to remain upside down because of the sensitive condition of the adhesive strips that are applied to the canvas. So basically it's been hanging one way. So the gravity has been pulling them down uh, for the last 75 years. So now if they were to hang it the right way up, gravity would pull the strips the other way and might tear them off of the canvas which is such a it's such a wonderful conservation nerdy problem to have that it's like this painting's the wrong way but we can't hang it the right way because it's too delicate to be hung the right way so this is just how the painting hangs now i think that's also really interesting because it asks the question how much conservation work if any has been done on this work over the last 75 years and what is possible at this point in time. The way that the curator described it was that the tape was barely hanging on. And so my thought is, well, it sounds even precarious in this position that it's in now. So what can be done to restore it? And if that is done, um, could it then potentially be hung the right way? All of this conversation and devil's advocate of the whole well it doesn't matter which way it hangs jessica we were talking before we started recording it does look better it looks so much better <laughs> what is in those in the orientation that is supposed to be the right way up um like it's the composition is more balanced it has more weight to it it feels a little more serious like the, the Guardian uh, published an article about this situation and has a wonderful, like, slider uh, where you can slide the the screen back and forth to show it, you know, right way up or wrong way up. And I think, Jessica, both of us think that it really does work in the orientation it's allegedly supposed to have. It does, because, you know, the way that it is now, your eye is drawn to the bright yellow, which is at the top. And then I feel like my eye just wants to stay there. Um, but if you were to flip it, then, you know, immediately my eyes kind of go to the red, but then get drawn down um, to the yellow below that. So to me, it feels more balanced. It feels more interesting to my eye. It forces me to kind of look around the composition in a way that I don't really do um, when it's turned the way that it has been for the last 75 years. Mm -hmm. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of almost don't want to, but I do. I do agree. <laughs> you want to say it's okay for it to have been hanging this way and this is fine. Yeah, maybe I want to embrace the chaos a little bit. I don't know why or I don't know what part of me 
that is because I know the the probably quote unquote correct parts of me should be outraged, like I said earlier. But you know, it's I think it can still be it can still be upside down, and we can agree that it would look better right ways up, and the fact that it's prevented from fulfilling its mission adds to an absurdity around the piece and that the curator who discovered this seems very good natured in the face of it and is just kind of like well it can't be hung right side up and it's just part of this piece's story now which having that on a museum label i also think is kind of wonderful (laughs) yeah definitely uh and with that we're going to go to our second topic which is the climate protests that have been happening in Europe over the past couple months. Um, These really started earlier this year, maybe six, eight months ago. Um, But the reason we're talking about it again is because, well, twofold. Um, One is that the protesters have really, I feel like, ramped it up even just in the past few weeks. Um, They've targeted Van Gogh's Sunflowers in the National Gallery in London, Uh, They've targeted Girl with a Pearl Earring by Vermeer, which is maybe the most high-profile work that climate protesters have um, kind of took aim at. Um, They also smashed the face of King Charles III's wax statue at Madame Tussauds with chocolate cake. They hid out or camped out under a dinosaur skeleton in a museum. Um, They've also been using fire extinguishers like loaded with spray paint to spray paint buildings, including the home office in the UK, the bank of England, uh, news corps headquarters and luxury car dealerships and a Rolex shop. Um, So that's just context for everything that's been happening. Also though, there is a wonderful meme. So we got a meme tie in, of course, um, that, Little Nas X, the rapper, uh, posted to his Instagram account not too long ago in which he, let's just say, avenges Van Gogh against Andy Warhol. Jessica, do you want to talk about the meme? And maybe give context to it just in case any of our listeners don't know exactly what's going on. Yeah, uh, the meme is great. It's really clever. Um, You have Little Nas X um, in a gallery um kind of posing like he's throwing something at the Warhol Campbell's soup um painting and then photoshopped in his hand is the Van Gogh sunflowers so it looks like he is throwing the painting of Van Gogh's sunflowers at the Campbell's tomato soup can it's something that's so simple um but really clever and has garnered a lot of attention online over the last week or so. And then the next image in that meme, it's kind of like a two-slide meme, is the Van Gogh sunflowers over the Campbell's soup can, of course, as if it had been plastered onto it. Um, The context for it is that the Just Stop Oil protesters at the National Gallery in London um, not only glued themselves to the painting and the surroundings of the painting, but then poured a can of soup. I actually don't think it was Campbell's, uh, but poured a can of soup or like flung it at the painting. Um, 
and I feel like the the use of food has really started to come around in these protests. Like I feel like these protests are ramping up a little bit. Like we have um we have the soup on the Van Gogh. We have the Vermeer's girl with a pearl earring in which one of the protesters tried to super glue his head to the glass in front of the painting and then the his co-protester poured a can of what looked like soup on his head. We have uh, the cake, as I mentioned earlier, uh, protesters smashing King Charles III's wax statue's face with chocolate cake. One of the first protests in this vein um, did include the Mona Lisa and also included food as well. Yeah, that was all the way back. I think it was in May. So long, so long ago. But it was... And that was maybe even one of the most performance art elements of protests that I've ever read about. But it was a man dressed as an old woman in a wheelchair ended up in the front of the big Mona Lisa crowd and then smeared cake on the bulletproof glass that was in front of the painting and was talking about how Uh, The climate was being destroyed and how we care about objects over people and, you know, our planet's situation and et cetera, et cetera. Um, Jessica, what are uh, what are your thoughts about the way that these protests have like progressed? Because we've come a long way at this point from just super gluing our hands to the frame of a painting. Like, I think one thing we didn't even mention yet is that someone through mashed potatoes at a Monet, which, you know, I feel like we see these headlines and the headline is of course the thing that person did to said painting. Um, but how do you think about like the protesters mission? Like what, what's, what's progressed or what's grown or what have they done different and how do you think it's affected kind of their whole purpose and their whole goal over the last six months? I think people are starting to see like, oh, this has been going on for like six months, even though it's a situation where the headline might not be climate change organization makes demands of the government uh, for change. um, They are staying in the headlines, uh, so they're garnering attention uh, for their cause. I think right now it's all been leading up to making a larger demand. They've paused their protests for a couple of days until Friday, November 4th. Which will have just passed after this podcast uh, goes live. So it's possible that between our recording of this and your listening of this, there have been six more attacks that we're not talking about, just for your own context. Anyway, continue, Jessica. Right. And I'm so eager to see what is going to happen when their deadline passes, because they, they've paused to kind of give the UK government an opportunity to respond and to come back and say, you know, what, if any, changes they're going to be making. And the organization Just Stop Oil has indicated that if their demands are not met, that they are going to continue and up what they're doing. So I'm kind of excited to see what that might look like. Jessica, I want to push back just a little bit on the efficacy of these protests. Like, I totally agree that consistency is a virtue in something like this um, in order to get their demands across. Like, if you 
glue your hand to one painting, you're just a crazy headline. If you do that multiple times, the message might start to get through a little more than just the crazy action you're doing. But I still think, and this is, you know, somewhat the fault of media, you know, one of the reasons we're talking about these protests is because they involve art. Um, so fully acknowledged in that capacity. But one of the things about media is that catchy headlines get attention and some people don't read farther than that. So like the idea of this protest being protester does thing to artwork I think is what has been sticking in a lot of people's heads from this. And, you know, again, part of maybe the media narrative of not acknowledging what their demands are or what they're actually trying to get across. But like, I feel like they look a little loony because of these protests. And I don't know how much that helps their cause because I feel like I even, you know, obviously like climate issues are things that are, pressing our planet right now in unbelievable ways. But I feel like I know people who fully believe in that sentiment and yet are just like, what are these guys doing? Because it's like, because the more you make yourself look like a caricature, I feel like the less you help your very serious cause. I feel like maybe some of it is that even though they have been repeating these actions, they kind of look like lone wolves. So it's like, they make they make this threat that they're going to escalate their actions or keep, you know, keep protesting if their demands are not met. But even though probably a fair number of people, maybe a majority, I haven't looked at the studies in the UK, agree with them, in a sense, publicly, they look like lone wolves. So the government doesn't have any incentive I feel like to acknowledge them or respond to them or much less to meet their demands, which maybe they already know. And so they're just going to escalate even more until they can maybe rally some sort of public support. But I'm just kind of I'm still a little bit at the point where I'm like, what needs to happen is actual political movement and gathering and advocacy and maybe that's spurned by this, or maybe people are just turned off by it and it actually delays it. Like, you know, we haven't, it hasn't been played out yet, so we obviously don't know how it's going to turn out. But I see multiple pathways, some of which are successful because of this, and some of which this proves to be a detriment. Yeah, I mean, I, I can definitely understand that point of view. Um, but, I, you know, I think about these protests also in terms of the protests that we saw across the U.S. and across the world back in 2020 during the pandemic over police violence against black people. Um, and so climate change has been a topic of conversation for decades. Um, activists have been working on taking the political route to affect climate change, to put in place laws for decades. Um, and so I kind of see these protests as, you know, we're tired. We're tired of doing it the right way. We're tired of, um, you know, going through the proper channels and not getting things done. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to be real public about this. And yeah, maybe we're going to get a little bit crazy. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they are, again, like getting attention. And you have to ask, like, who is their audience? What is their intention in doing this? Um, do they expect that in doing this, they're going to rally support from the public? 
I kind of don't think that's their intention. Um, I don't know, but I would assume again that, you know, there's already a certain amount of support for um, environmental action. So is then their audience, the people in government? And is this making them have conversations about it because they are uh, making these really big scenes that are staying in the news? Um, so to me, I see that as pretty successful. And like I said, I'm, I'm interested to see what their intentions are um, if their demands are not met. Yeah. Well, and people obviously do feel a relationship to this form of protest. Like one of the one of the things that we've seen is that so apparently just stop oil like the organization. They say that they're a United Kingdom based campaign, so they don't protest outside of the country. And yet the Vermeer girl with the pearl Earring protest, um, if I'm remembering correctly, those protesters had a Just Stop Oil t-shirt, and obviously Vermeer's Girl with a Pearl Earring is not in a UK museum, so they were an unaffiliated, unsanctioned protest, but it was, I would assume, people protesting who fully believed that the way of, uh, that the actions that Just Stop Oil are doing are effective. And so they're bringing them into their own countries. We haven't seen these types of protests land on our shores yet. Um, I would be very interested the American public reaction to it. I, I feel like, you know, there's I, I've, I've said this in different capacities, I feel like in relationship to protests that use public spaces and art institutions, but the UK and just other other museums in Europe, there's a different sense of like public ownership over a space versus I feel like what we have in the US. Um, like if you look at the protests, Jessica, like you mentioned in 2020, they were granted it was in the middle of COVID. So this could have been part of it, but it was people taking to the streets and organizing in public squares and parks and organizing throughout the city. It wasn't people trying to organize in what are technically public spaces, but which are really kind of private, more um, walled off spaces like museums. So I'd be interested if these protesters bring it to the US, I feel like it would be a, it would take on a whole nother way of working, I guess, or it would just, it would change the protest in some way, shape or form. And the consequences might be different also because just, the public, like the public way we think about it and the legal system. And I, I don't know if it's going to happen over here or not, or if climate protesters over here will find another way to do it that may be more public and may not involve gluing their hands to the frames of artworks. Yeah, yeah. It's hard for me to imagine this happening here in the United States, um, partially because so much of what Just Stop Oil has done is um, is really thought through and they're focusing on artworks that are covered with glass um, so that they're not damaging the work at all. And I'm thinking about, you know, some of the big name pieces in the U.S. at museums I've been to, and I don't think very many of them are covered in glass. Um, and so that's one thing that makes me think that that's one reason among many that I, I think 
it wouldn't necessarily happen here, but I could see maybe something happening in national parks um, or state parks or, or something like that, um, which in the U.S. Is, is seen as, you know, a very public place, a place that we, a place that citizens um, help to maintain and um, are kind of the the caretakers of and and state and and national and state parks are kind of these treasures and so i could see a somehow aligning with something that is up on that type of pedestal um could could be a move that would would happen here in the united states well and back to the idea of artworks being covered i feel like the protesters in europe have taken to incorporating that statement kind of into their stump speech (laughs) whenever they affix themselves to the wall or to the frame or whatever. Like part of what they say is that the artwork is covered and they're not hurting the artwork. And they, and maybe that's from what they've learned about the earlier coverage of their protests is that people were really worried about the thing itself. So that's one of the things that they tell the people who, also, we're admonishing them in the gallery space <laughs> whenever these things happen. Um, so it does seem like they are, I mean, they're obviously very media conscious, which is one of the reasons they started doing it this way in the first place. Um, so it seems like they're learning a little bit either and or the media is learning them or they're both learning and trying to play each other, which is actually, I feel like, what's really happening. And with that, uh, that is this week's Art Dirt. If you have any thoughts about this or anything else, drop them in the comments. We will include a link to the reading list of things we were looking at, including the Guardian's wonderful Mondrian slider in the reading list of this post. So check that out on Glass Tire. And that's it. Uh, There's a ton of great art on view in Texas and everywhere else right now. Uh, If you're in Texas, check out our event listings on Glass Tire and you can figure out what to see. And with that, we'll be back in two weeks. Go see some art. Go see some art. This podcast was recorded by Glass Tire and edited by William Saradet. Copyright Glass Tire 2022.